So good to be with you guys today, bring the word of the Lord to you, and um, we're in the middle of this series, part three of You Choose, because God has made you and I responsible, accountable human beings, right? Responsible and accountable. Now you know, because you can remember, right, and, and some of you maybe not too far along ago, but some of you maybe a long time ago. But you remember when you wanted more options, you wanted um, the decision, the power to make your own choices, your parents were holding you back, how dare they, right? How dare they? And how dare your teachers actually make you go to school on time, get your homework in, how dare they, you know, how dare your boss actually say you should, like, perform your jobs and job descriptions and duties and all of those things, right? So we're living in a time when much of our culture is kind of in this upheaval, right? And it's not the first time. But new things and a new generation. You know what's different about now than 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 2, 3, 400 years ago? You know what's different now than when the times we were in the Scriptures? You're here and I'm here. But if you're a student of history and student of the Bible, which the Bible is a historical document, you would notice that there are always, 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 there's always been times of chaos, confusion, doubt, division, dissension. Everything that we're experiencing today in our culture has been here all the time, all the time. I often wonder about the first century because that's when the scripture, the New Testament was written and that's when the church was birthed. And I I think about something that took place in the early church that would have made them feel a lot like what you're feeling right now and you and I are feeling as we live in this world where if you're paying attention, it feels like everybody's skin is very sensitive, right? And it's like you say one thing and someone's going to get mad or offended or something bad's going to, like, we, so it's like, oh no. And then men, right, my daughter, she, I'm going to say 75% jokes with me about this. I say something I'm not supposed to to my 29-year-old daughter. Maybe it's not politically correct. Maybe it's something that an old man would say, I don't know, hit 50, you know, so I say that. Um, and then I try to like, talk my way out of it. She goes, Dad, stop mansplaining. <laughs> so there's something called mansplaining now. We used to just call it digging a deeper hole, right? <laughs> it's like we would tell each other, hey, put the shovel away, where now young ladies are telling men, hey, don't try to mansplain that. I don't think there's anything called women'splaining. Have you ever heard that? No, because if you say that, you won't eat and you'll be sleeping on the couch, so how dare you? No, 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 no. As much as we want equality, guys, it's never going to be equal, and that's okay. That's okay. We'll live with, we'll live with that, because... I'll be told to be quiet and stop mansplaining if she keeps making the chicken soup that she made last night, and now everybody's mad at me, right? Because you can't talk like this today, can you? Can you talk and say, oh, the woman makes the meal? Can you say that? That's offensive. That's... And now I'm pastor-splaining it, right? See, all this kind of trouble that we were, like everything, that was, it's better to just shut up and say nothing. Oh, but that's, oh, that's really male of me. Because we love, males, we love to just, uh, I'm just going to withdraw to my own little world. We, we withdraw, we're constantly withdrawing. So maybe it's very man of me to just, oh, I don't know, mansplain? Well, I don't know. 
just get confused. Well, you know what? There were a lot of prickly times in the New Testament. You know, Jesus, if he wasn't Jesus, he probably would have been very afraid to do or say anything on the Sabbath because every time he turned around for doing something on the Sabbath, the Saturday, the, first, the, the, the seventh day of the week, as soon as he healed someone, as soon as he let his disciples grab a handful of grain out of the fields, as soon as he did that, there was someone to pop out from nowhere and accuse him of doing something wrong. Everywhere Jesus went, there were the politically correct people of his day. They're called the Judaizers. Called the ones that'll take 10 commands of God and turn them to over 800 commands and rules. And so everywhere Jesus went, there was somebody watching out for him. Hey, stop that. Hey, don't do that. Hey, why are you doing that? Hey, that's wrong. That's not what our father's doing. All over the place. And then as the New Testament started to unfold and as the church began to be birthed and spread out, well, there was so much change and there was so much intermixing of different cultures now that people felt lost. They had lost their identity. A lot of people that were following Jesus and they were Jewish people are all of a sudden questioning their entire heritage. They were all of a sudden wondering who they were as a people. They were all wondering where they were going to go and what they were going to do and how it was all going to work out because now everything was just that they had known had been blown up. You see, much of the time, much of what we're living with today is just very common to humanity. And so most of the time when I address these social issues, I use the word humanity. Why? I just think you'll hear it better. And I think every time I talk male, female, everybody's ears go up and everybody gets all sensitive. <laughs> because that's the world we're living in. And everybody's afraid to say something. I even had to send a, a text out this morning and ask someone what they meant on Facebook because I didn't dare respond on Facebook. And that's my practice is I read something, I see something, and I'm like, oh, let me ask them in private. I'm not going to ask them in public because then somebody's, I don't need their two cents, right? And one of the things that's very hard on our culture right now and what's very kind of a hot-button issue for us is this idea of choice and this idea of rights and privileges and responsibilities and opportunities and all these things. It's very much stirred up, isn't it? What do you have the choice to do and not to do? What are you free to do and what are you obligated to do for someone else, right? I know one pastor, um, He's made this public. I won't mention his name, just, but he has made this public. He, he said that he personally did not want to get the vaccine for all the reasons why a lot of people don't want to get the vaccine, and he, he didn't want to get it. But his wife wanted him to get it. And she had the other set of reasons, <laughs> all the other reasons. And so there they were in this pastoral home, him saying, no, I don't want it. And her saying, well, I want it, and I want you to have it. And they happened to be in their 60s. And then he said that he went and got the vaccine. And you know why? He, got, he was very interesting. And he said, I went and got the vaccine, not because I think I should, because he goes, I really didn't want to. And I really don't think, he goes, I don't think it's even necessary for me. But he said, I went and got it. One, because my wife wanted me to. <laughs> and then two, he thought, well, I'm going to do this for my kids and grandkids. And if something goes wrong with me, with this vaccine, 
I'll be, I'll be the guinea pig, and I'll suffer so that they can learn more about this thing for the next generation. And I thought, that's kind of interesting. And then he also said, I think I'll go get the vaccine because the community in which I pastor is all crazy right now with this. And he said, if I get the vaccine, it'll shut everybody up and I can preach the gospel. <laughs> so that's another reason why he went and got it. So you see all these kind of things? Like, we all have our own reasons for wanting to do things, and we all believe, well, I, need, I want to be able to choose. And why you and I want to be able to choose so bad with a lot of different things is because God created you to choose. God created you as an intellectual being. God created you with the ability to weigh options, to consider other people, to um, do all the things that we are currently doing. And God created you in his image, and he created you with the ability to make a choice. However, there's another side of that too, because with that opportunity or that privilege to make a choice, there's also the responsibility, right? Because whatever choice you make, there's going to be consequences to those choices, and then you are, and I are responsible for the consequences of those choices. And all of that goes together. We can't like separate those. We can't say, well, I, I want to be able to choose, but I don't want the responsibility if it goes bad. But that's a lot of our culture, right? I want to choose. Oh no, things have gone wrong. It's your fault. It's somebody else's fault. But I want, I want to choose. But then I want, when it goes wrong, I want it to be your fault. And the, God's like, no, wait a minute, you can't, you can't have both of those. It's either just, if it's going to be someone else's fault, then just do what everybody else says. But if you're going to make choices, if you're going to weigh the evidence, if you're going to step into being a fully developed human being and be rational and considerate and educated then you're also going to have to take responsibility for when things go wrong. And so the Bible teaches us that in so many ways. So my challenge to you this morning is this. I want you to choose accountability over complacency as we seek to live in accordance with the plain things about God. It's a big challenge, isn't it? We're going to unpack that over the next few moments, but... Let that settle in to your heart and mind that you choose accountability over complacency. Why would I say that? I would say because a lot of us, like me, my tendency, just to let you know, my tendency is to look at the culture and say, you all are nuts. I'm checking out. I'm going to go off into the woods and just be by myself. I'm going to ride my bike. I'm going to watch baseball. Dodgers lost. Boo-hoo. Oh, well, five minutes. We're over it. Go Braves. Okay, so, because two seconds after... The Dodgers lost. Every Dodger became a Braves fan because the Braves are now playing Houston Astros, right? Yeah. So see how hypocritical we are? I wanted Freddie Freeman to strike out. Now I want him to hit a home run every at-bat because we're big hypocrites. And if you're, you know, if you're wearing Dodgers, then we like you and we hate you if you put on it. No, it's, but that's, that's where we are because we can make choices. We can be that way, right? <laughs> In a very funny sense. But the complacency part. How many of you are tired like me? How many of you are just, I was just tired of trying to explain everything? Because I say one thing and someone accuses me of meaning the opposite. I'm just like, I can't I mean that. Yeah, you did. No, no, I honestly didn't. You don't tell me what I meant, right? And some people, they don't choose complacency. They choose more engagement and more and more and more and more. I just don't have that energy. God bless you if that's you. <laughs> I just get tired of it easy so my then maybe that's for me maybe the lord is saying hey listen as you get frustrated look throughout all of history there's been this 
the issues and the people have changed, but the main thing is still this sad condition of the human heart. So don't choose complacency. And so if you're sick of it all like me, we can't stick our heads in the sand. We, we really do need to look up and look at our world. But there's a place that we can kind of sit, I think. Because when things get really confusing and, and really kind of convoluted, sometimes it's very, very helpful to go back to the very plain things first, right? It's kind of start there. Settle in on the plain things, what really can be known, because there's so many things going on in our world that, uh, let's be honest, you and I don't have direct access to the truth, and we're getting it filtered from all sides with people with agendas, and so a lot of the stuff that you and I believe is not really based on our own empirical research and knowledge of reality. A lot of things about you and I believe is based upon hearsay and what other people have told us, Right? Because it's a very interesting study to take some things and say, well, how do you, let me give, you just give me a belief. And then I say, well, how did you know that? And when I was teaching high school Bible, majority of my students, when I said, are you a Christian? They say, yes. I say, why? Majority of them said it was because I was raised in the church. Well, that's not a good reason. Right? That's not a good reason. Oh, it's because I prayed and God gave me a job. That's not a good reason. It's not a good reason. And so if you have a belief about anything, about the vaccine, about the virus, about what's going on in the world political stage, if you have an opinion about God, if you have an opinion about humanity, about you, if you have an opinion about me, <laughs> how have you come to believe that? Right? One of the major goals of our church is at the end of the day, after we say and do everything that we say and do around here, if we have people that are speaking the truth in love, we've hit our target. That's our goal. It's the main outcome of everything that we seek to do around here is to have people speaking the truth in love. So if you're speaking the truth in love, how do you know that what you're speaking is true? And so I want you today to maybe back up and say, Can I, let me focus on some plain things first. Let me focus on some plain things about God and let's, let's then go to there because I think when things get like they get today, I think we need to take a step back, go to the plain things, get a foundation, get some traction, Take a big deep breath, get a moment, and just deal with some plain things, and then we can kind of start moving forward again from there. The first thing that I want to discuss with you is out of the book of Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, which is this, that humanity is responsible for knowing the revealed attributes of God. This is where God starts, and he says, I'm making you a person that can choose, but you also are accountable. And God says, you are accountable for understanding the plain things about me. Oh, that's very interesting. So let's read together. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Paul writing to the church in Rome. Because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely these two things, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. In other words, God would look at our world today and says, listen, you are accountable as you make your choices in the world. And as you, would, if you would read that first part of Romans, there's a lot of things going on. They had, they had dove into a, dived into a lot of things that were just unhealthy and, and against God's word and, and bad for humanity. They had dumped, jumped into all these things. Why? Because they ignored a couple plain things about God. And notice God says to them, you should know these things because... I've revealed them to you, and I've revealed them to you in nature. 
In other words, God is saying that a thinking person will be able to step outside and look at the mountains and look at the trees and look at a few animals and maybe even look at the mirror and look at themselves. If they've had the blessing of having a child and maybe think of this, this you know, the miracle of childbirth and to, to see these things that, that we look at in, in creation, we call it science. God literally says in Romans chapter 1, if you would just take a peek at the world around you, grab a biology book or two, grab an earth science book or two, maybe seventh grade level, <laughs> you would probably see my divine nature, you would probably see, you'd probably see that. Wow, that's a pretty powerful statement in 2021. But he also said, you, you will see my eternal power. I think that's the one that's easier for me, the, the power one. When I was a freshman in college, I was a Christian, and I was working on my uh, general ed, planning on transferring to another school for my theology work. And part of my, my general ed, I took an astronomy course by an atheist professor, and the power of God was massive to me as a Christian looking at various things in our universe. And I was captivated by what's called the Horsehead Nebula. Go Google that, look at the pictures. Magnificently beautiful nebula, whatever that is. I, all I know is it was beautiful and it was powerful. And I remember as a teenager, when I would struggle a little bit, I'd go down to the beach and stand on the shore and just watch the waves and just think about God and just the power power in the ocean of God. As I moved to Colorado and I went up there and enjoyed those beautiful mountains that just seemingly don't end, right? <laughs> and then you hear the weather report and the risk on this highway or that highway about avalanches and you think power. And then you go to Oklahoma where Susan raised and you see these extremely powerful thunderstorms and you think, my goodness, my goodness. The power of God. And you dive in, see, isn't it interesting in 2021 that God would say, hey, listen, you should know some things about me because I've revealed myself in science. But what we live in a world that says this, that religion and science are two different things. Isn't that amazing that Satan would convince a world to stop looking in places where God has revealed himself? Wouldn't it be amazing if Satan can just, just convince Christians, stop looking at science? Because they're mostly atheists and they're, isn't that amazing? That God says in Romans chapter 1 that, hey, I've shown you, I've shown you my, my eternal power and I've showed you my divine nature in science. And then Satan said, don't look at science. Your religion or science. And then how do, why do most young people leave the church? Emotional reasons. They have stirred up, they have disappointments with God. There's something going on in their world. They go to a college campus. They have the smart people telling them that science is what you should believe in, not God. And now they have a pathway to go live their life because they've been disappointed with God. They've been disappointed with the church. They've been disappointed with a lot that they've seen. But then somebody smart gave them another path to take where they can be smart too. And most of our intellectual reasons for abandoning God are couched in emotional reasons. And that's why, as I said a few weeks ago, my life goal is to help people with emotional and intellectual barriers to faith. That's, I lived that out as a pastor, as a friend. But see, God says, you should know these, plain, these two plain things about me because I've revealed them to you in science. 
and meanwhile the church is shut off. Very interesting. So maybe part of our understanding of God should be to grab a seventh grade earth science book and dive in. Another thing that he talks to us about is in Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. Notice the poetry of this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day into day pours out speech, and night after night reveals knowledge. Isn't that amazing? You see, that's why those eastern wise men, those magi, were looking at the stars, and they knew because they had received many, 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 many years ago, hundreds of years prior, they had received the teachings of Daniel, and they held on to the teachings of Daniel for generation upon generation upon generation, and when a certain star rose in the east, they knew that something was up, and they traveled to Jerusalem, and they found the Messiah, Bethlehem, excuse me, because God will tell the story in the stars. Now, there's a vast difference between astrology and astronomy. Astrology, not good. Astronomy, very good. (laughs) And so maybe part of our accountability as human beings in learning and discovering God would be to step back into the scientific world and stop ignoring the truth there and the beauty there. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say this, Long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to His fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, in whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He has also created the world. So notice, as you would start, if, you, if that's a good place to start learning about God, is to start with science. And you might never have heard that before, but if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I need to know about God, fine, go grab a, go grab a science book. What, excuse me? Yeah, go, go check out God's creation, see what he made. <laughs> but then take that a step further and say, now go talk, and now go read this book about Jesus. These four accounts of the life of Jesus, these four historical accounts, Luke is a wonderful place to start. He's a first century doctor turned historian. And we learn that the God that made all these things, as he is often referred to in the Old Testament, is also referred to by Paul in the book of Acts when he reengages society. He says the God of creation has now been revealed through this person, Jesus. And now we can look at this person, Jesus, and we can know what God's like. And so now all of humanity is accountable for knowing what God's like because he's revealed to us in his creation and he's revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so now that he's revealed himself, you and I are accountable. So what must we do in Romans chapter 2? We learn this, that grace does not remove accountability. Because God is gracious, right? That's one of the things you discover about him very quickly. You discover that he's a merciful and a gracious God. Once you understand his power and you understand you're still breathing, you understand he's gracious. (laughs) Once you understand he's holy and you're not and you're still breathing and you're still here, he must be very, very merciful. But mercy and grace do not remove accountability. Notice in Romans chapter 2, looking at the first four verses, first we discover this. Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges for passing judgment on the other, you condemn yourself because you judge, excuse me, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that, the, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So do we have hypocrites in the church? Absolutely. Why do we have hypocrites in the, in the church? Because we have hypocrites in the world. Because humanity, humans, are hypocrites. We, we, we are. 
We'll cheer for the Dodgers one minute, the Braves the next. (laughs) You'll excuse something that you do, yet hold accountable somebody else that does the very same thing. Someone that you love does something wrong, you want mercy for them. Someone that you don't really know and does something bad to you, you want judgment on them. That's what humans do. You see. See, we justify what we do wrong, and we want the hammer dropped on those that do that very same thing to us. That's humanity. That's what humans do. See, and God is saying to us, hold on here. Hold on here. Don't you know that all of you and all of us, humanity, all in the same boat, we deserve judgment? We deserve condemnation. We've all broken the law of the Creator. We've all broken that. We've all done it. And we all deserve judgment, but God has given us mercy. Now, what, is pe- what have people done with his mercy? Oh, I guess then in, if he hasn't judged me, I could just keep doing it. I could just keep living a sinful life because God hasn't smashed me yet, so it must be okay. And the most scary thing I've ever heard come out of a follower of Jesus Christ's mouth or Christian's mouth is they're doing a, a known thing in the Bible that says that it's wrong. They're doing it. And they say, well, I don't feel guilty for it anymore. And I'm like, oh, no. That means you've been ignoring the voice of God for so long that your heart has now become hardened to the things of God. And it's not that God has somehow told you that it was okay. You've just lost the ability to hear because your heart is now so hard that you can willfully, volitionally make make the choice to break a known law of God and not feel guilty over it. You could be rude to your spouse and not care. You can be mean to a child and it just doesn't bother you because you've been so hardened by your rejection of God that you have placed yourself in a position to where you're so far from God that you no longer hear His voice. So be very afraid, my friends. If you can do something that the Bible calls wrong and sinful and be happy about it, you you are in a very dangerous, dangerous spiritual condition. But notice that the kindness and mercy of God is to lead you to what? Repentance. Because God says, I love you. I know you've done all those stupid things, but I love you and I want you to be with me and I want to be with you. But I'm holy and you're not, so I'll take care of all your problems. I'll reveal myself to you in nature. I'll reveal myself to you as one of you. I'll become a man. I'll reveal myself to you because in all of your brokenness and all of my holiness, I want to be with you and I want to bring you back to myself. And so my kindness to you, God would say, is so that you would come to me. Wow. Isn't that amazing? And we move further in the text into verse 5 and we see this. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up for yourself wrath on the day of wrath when God's, judge, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now as you see in that statement there in the end of verse 5, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He hasn't revealed it yet. God is not poured out his wrath on humanity yet key word yet (laughs) and why because he's patient with us he doesn't want to condemn us it's not god's will that any should perish but he is his will that all should come to faith in jesus christ and redemption and so you and i we know the importance of justice because our as humans we cry out for justice all the time but we don't quite know how to define it. We don't really quite know how to do it. 
and humanity does a very poor job of kind of managing itself, right? We can't get along. We get rude, we cut people off, we counsel, we do all these things to each other. Humans are very, very mean to one another (laughs) because we're somehow trying to get justice and God is saying, I'm not doing that now. I will. And then he moves on into verse 6. He says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who are were by patience in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they will be given wrath and fury. So my challenge to you this morning is this, that you would choose to let God speak for himself. You wouldn't take my word for it. I know that's kind of funny saying that in a preaching setting. I'm here talking to you. Words are flying out of my mouth, and I'm telling you, ignore me. Just listen to God. And you know how that happens in a setting like this? See, if God is speaking to you and putting something in your heart right now, you're either being encouraged in this moment, and you're like, I feel like I'm in a good place with God. And that's awesome. That's awesome. Go with that. Celebrate that. But however, you might be feeling something else this morning. You might be going, man, maybe I'm not in a good place with God. Maybe I need to get with God and pray, and maybe I need to repent of some things and get some things straightened out. Maybe I need to uh, go seek the forgiveness of someone that I've offended and done wrong to. Maybe I need to make some changes in my life. Well, see, then that's God telling you, I don't know where you fall today. I have no earthly idea. God might be looking at you this morning and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Keep on going. You're on a good path. Let's go. Keep going. Or God might be telling you this morning, you need to change course in some things in your life. Take God's word for it. Let him speak for himself. And finally, if we do this, I believe we'll be a stronger community for one another. Choose to love through accountability. See, if you love me and I love you, we have to hold each other accountable. Now, let me explain to you that that's kind of a weird thing for me. Because I have this belief about accountability, and we'll finish up with this. I believe that if I need you to hold me accountable, I'm weak and immature. Okay? Because I can't stand on my own two feet. I need you to call me. Hey, pastor, make sure not to do this. You know, don't do A, B, and C today. Pastor, did you do it? No, not today. Okay, I'll call you tomorrow. That's immaturity on my part. But if I want to make some changes in my life, and I know there's some things going on in my world that I need your help with, see, I can come to you and say, hey, uh, every Tuesday evening, about 5.30, I'm going to send you a text. It's going to be a thumbs up or a thumbs down because I'm going to tell you how I did this week with the issue that you and I are discussing. I'm going to ask that you pray for me I'm going to ask you to seek the Lord on my behalf. But every Tuesday, 5.30, I'm going to send you a text because I'm going to give account to you. I'm going to take responsibility for my own life. You don't, I can go months. You might not want to. I'm not telling you to call me at all. I'm telling you at 5.30 on Tuesday afternoon, I'm sending you a thumbs up, thumbs down. Because I'm going to give account for my actions and take responsibility for getting better. That's maturity. See, maturity isn't that you've got it all figured out already. <laughs> Maturity is saying, I'm going to take responsibility for the person that God made me to be. He made me with the ability to choose. 
He made me responsible, and he made me accountable. And I'm going to choose accountability, and I'm going to choose to be accountable, and so I'll let you know. I'll say, I'm struggling with this. I'll check in with you at this time. You don't need to babysit me. You don't need to worry about me. I'm a responsible human being. I'm an adult. I will give you account of my actions. Huh. See, what would happen if we loved each other that way and gave each other space in life and grew up a little bit and said, I'm not going to become complacent with my own development, but as a human being with the ability to choose, the ability to take responsibility for my life, I'm going to give account to you. Now, I understand that sometimes there's maybe a traumatic event that takes place in someone's life. Something really, 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 really difficult happens, and you are in a position to where you are so down, you are so low, that you need someone to call you because you just don't have it within yourself to do it. I understand that. But those are rare times. And those are times when, as your pastor, this is how I operate. I want you to take responsibility for your own life. I I can't live your life for you. I can't be calling you every Tuesday at 5.30 to make sure you're doing what you should do. But if I know something's gone on in your life and and the Holy Spirit reveals to me that I need to call you, then I'll call you. And that's kind of the way I've pastored for 25 years. And I'll be walking along and Lord says that this person needs some help. They're, not, they're never going to call you. Oh. See, but my goal is to walk with you until you can stand up on your own two feet. Well, I'll help you up. But the first goal is to get you walking and take responsibility for your life. And then the problem will get solved after that. We don't go from a place where you are just totally incapable of moving forward to where you're healthy. The next step is you need to start taking some responsibility. That's why I give homework assignments. <laughs> so I, and then if people don't do those, then they're not serious about getting help. You're just wasting my time at that point. Right? And so if we move along in those ways, I believe it would be helpful. Let's finish with this scripture, Luke 17.3. This is the only one we'll do, guys, right here, Luke 17.3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. That first piece, pay attention to yourself. 